A man for all seasons. The Quiet Men of England, number three. Nolan Peeps. Part two. Fancy a drink, boys? Ladies? Come, my credulous friends. Come, my polymaths. Come, stalwarts. Come, newcomers. Bring your engines and other whatnots. Bring your harridans, your hounds, and, if you wish, your offspring. Though, do please wipe your feet and leave them at the door. To Wesley Turpin. The drinks are on me. No credit was asked for, as none would be given. For Pepys had risen to his current station in life by being neither borrower nor lender. He would frequently look askance at any one who offered him tinkling rather than folding recompense, all the while moodily drumming his fingers on a pewter tankard on which the word tits had been written. That might have been enough for any and all villagers to eschew the premises, were it not for the graceful and ample delights of Titania. She provided all the maternal bosom a passing villager needed to empty their cares upon at the end of a trying day. Be it Bakpuis, his shoulders stiff from hole-mongery, another tall tale from the river-bank woven by the implausible Melton Constable, or the strange far-away look in Aston Tirrit's eye. Titania breasted every obstacle she was presented with, with such lissom grace and good manners that even Miss Nightingale was prone to take the lower sixth into the saloon during ethics class for instruction, and a small schooner of sherry. On this one particular day, as Titania held a glass to the light and breathed a soft, drying breath upon its rim, and Nolan was looking under the counter for spare change, a Mackintosh entered the public bar. The Mackintosh held a small mustachioed man. He, in turn, held a small brown leather case and very much wore spectacles. His demeanour bespoke research. His mien was interrogative, and his face bore accordingly deep crevices. He gingered to the bar, removed a soiled derby from his head, and on tiptoes peered over. "'What can I get you, dearie?' murmured Titania. "'Strictly speaking, we're not yet open. We don't enter until Mr. Pepys is done rounding up.' At this point the glabrous dome of Nolan Pepys popped up from behind the bar. "'Man needs a drink, if he's aware with all I'm always willing to pull and pour,' said mine host cheerfully and brooking no argument. The small man reached into another pocket and withdrew a pocket-book and made a note with a small pencil that magically appeared from within his coat. "'A small ginger ale, if I may,' replied the little man. "'Did I see a sign offering room and board?' A large hand came to rest upon his shoulder, and the broad, beaming figure of Melton Constable revealed itself behind the man. "'Stabling! That's what you want,' he boomed. "'A large pink gin, my dear, if I may. And I'll cover the ginger ale, too. Only the change would ruin the lining of my trousers. I'd be damned if I'm going uptown for a new pair in this weather.' <laughs> 
The drinks obtained, the small man returned to his theme. About that room, he inquired. Stabling! came the resounding retort from elsewhere in the saloon. Uh, yes, said the man. About that. Room and board was quickly arranged, money changed hands, and the strange little man disappeared upstairs. He dined alone at lunchtime, gnawing ambitiously at a massive chop and wincing at the homemade mustard. He ventured into the bar later in the day, wearing a suit with shiny elbows and a thin smile. The moon was in full cry, and the moon in full cry was a sight to behold. Bonamy burst from every nook, and every mouth confessed to a greater glory. A hot day had the denizens of Wesley Turpin panting as the heart for the cooling streams that would issue forth from the casks. The taproom was full of the labouring sort, and the saloon with the less labouring sort, and an assemblage of the finest of the fairer sex that Wesley Turpin could muster. And Foreman Napier. At the old piano sat the idiot child of Aston Tirrett, butchering an obscene sea shanty, and from the garden came the hoop and holler of coits being gaily tossed. As he approached the bar, he was overrun with urchins who, with squeaking gaiety, placed orders for stone jars of cider and various tankards and pewter mugs of ale, all of which were for father, and all of which were greeted with ruddy insouciance by the licensees. The little man looked aghast as, one by one, squealing ragamuffins cavorted into the warm evening and the cool grass of the garden with their offerings, and, one by one, they returned, lisping their sire's orders once more. From the saloon, raucous innuendo and outrageous effrontery mixed with infectious giggling as foreman Napier held sway. The small man crested the bar, and, leaning over amid the den, cleared his throat, <clears throat> I'm from the ministry, he urged, and I must... Quite right, too, my dearie, came the gladsome response. A pint of Tanqueray. No, 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 I must use your telephone. Do you have change? He replied, just as Nolan Peeps hove on screen. Telephone, he asked, beetling a knowing brow. Of course, come here and so saying tugged the man from the ministry into the snug, where an ornate and elaborate apparatus stood proud by the far wall. "'Do you have change?' inquired the man. "'I do,' replied our host, taking from a capacious waistcoat pocket a large silver coin. "'Here!' he tossed the coin into the hand of the small man. As he lifted the receiver he made to place the coin in the slot, only to find it still attached to the landlord by means of a long cord. Attached to the landlord was a broad and incomprehensible smile. Bemused, the man started to dial a number, and at the moment of connection his eyes began to sting, and a warm clinging fog of Titania's perfume assailed his nostrils, and at his other shoulder the landlady crooned softly. "'Drink up, dearie,' she whispered, Last orders, and pressed a beaker of gin into his trembling hand as the coin whistled back whence it came.
The man from the ministry woke the next morning with a sore head and scant recall. He knew he was supposed to make a report to someone about something, but of what he couldn't be sure. There was a knock on the door, and in came Titania, with a tray on which a plate of eggs and bacon squirmed merrily, and a large bowl of coffee gadrooned with Venezuelan rum stood. "'You'll be needing a good breakfast before you head off, dearie,' smiled the landlady, as she closed the door behind her. is to say the end. Shallow Production, written by Brian Painting, performed by Charlie Moriarty, with original music recorded and played by Peter Vincent Ridden. <laughs>